add a little play to your day with the Michigan Lottery. Over 90 online instant games to choose from, with prizes up to $500,000. A Marquette County woman recently won $250,000 playing online. Could you be next? Sign up online today to receive 10 free games with promo code FUN. Visit MichiganLottery.com to add a little play to your day. The Leslie Marshall Show, the only true democracy in talk radio, of, for, and by you, the people. Live nationwide and streaming live at LeslieMarshallShow.com. Call in with your thoughts at 888-6-LESLIE. special guest who is back on the show be joining us in just a moment here i'm leslie marshall how you doing uh happy friday thank god it's friday for those of you listening on radio on stream on podcast and watching us on periscope uh, who follow uh, on twitter uh glad to have you with us on this friday i'm also glad to have with us and back with us uh somebody's become a friend of mine over the years but somebody who always educates me and our listeners and glad to have him do that again this afternoon he's scott paul he's president of the alliance for american manufacturing the aam they're a partnership established by some of america's leading manufacturers and the united steel workers union And for over a decade, well over a decade, Scott and the AAM have worked to make American manufacturing a top of mind issue for voters. And you know that many of you in the manufacturing sector, which is those of you looking at why should I be buying things made in China? Uh, And they've done it through um, national with uh, effective advocacy, innovative research and a savvy PR strategy. And they're not just trying to make it a top of mind issue for voters, but also for our national leaders. And I think the fact that you see so much going on with regard to manufacturing is a testament to what Scott and the AAM have done uh, succeeding in their goal to make it top of mind. But there are other goals. Scott, good to have you back on this Friday. Welcome back, my friend. And uh, thank you for joining us. Hey, Leslie, it's great to be with you on this Friday. Um, and, you know, I know we all look for joys where we can find them these days. So congratulations on the uh, new addition to your, uh, uh, to your canine family. <laughs> yes, yes. Thank you. Thank you. Just what I need, an- another child. <laughs> but but I, I, I promised the kids forever. And it was just sort of like, now is a good time because I'm not traveling back east to New York and D.C. as much. So I can help, hopefully. Uh, with the uh, training, you know, so that he remains going outside, right? And uh, and all of us being home is just, it's just easier. You know, we're home more. It's summer. Kids are home. There's no camp. There's no school. You know how it is. You have kids, you know. Absolutely. Um, I loved your op-ed. Uh, Scott wrote an op-ed entitled Unmade in America. And he talks about black Americans. And, um, you know, we I've talked about on radio and television how black Americans have been disproportionately affected by COVID-19, how they've been disproportionately affected by the unemployment as a result of COVID-19. And you talk about something further that a lot of people don't think about and look at when you look at the numbers, which is that black Americans are also disproportionately feeling the devastation of our industrial flight overseas 
and you write it's reflected in the crises um, of today. Um, you start off a very powerful sentence. Silence is not a solution to what is happening in our country right now. Um, you talk about the brutal, mur brutal murder of Mr. George Floyd in Minneapolis. Then um, you talk about how we as a society are reckoning with difficult social, economic, health, and justice issues. Um, we see it playing out in real time, as you uh, know, in uh, America's streets with the protest. Um, and, uh, you know, you talk about all of us must devote more time, more thought, and more energy toward acknowledging injustices and moving toward solutions. We are citizens, voters, neighbors, families, and friends. In each of our roles, we can and should be part um, of the solution. You're president of the Alliance for American Manufacturing. How has what's happened? You're a white man. I'm a white woman. Uh, and I've, you know, I'm not putting you on the spot, Scott. So, um, but how, how has this in your position as a father, as a husband, as a white man in America, as the president of an organization who serves a diverse group of people, um, how has it maybe in, impacted you or maybe your thought process? Because I know that I've had some self-reflection. Yeah, there's been a lot of self-reflection, Leslie. And I, look, I was raised in a all-white small town in Indiana uh, where there were uh, there was a lot of racism where there were KKK rallies. Um, and and I've seen I've seen the really ugly side of this from 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 the from the white perspective and from the from the racists. Um, and, and so I, I will never know what it's like to walk in the shoes of someone who is a person of color. I can only try to empathize. and I can only try to do more and I can only try to listen and to try to learn and both personally and within our family um, and also organizationally, that's what we've been trying to do. Uh, you know, about four years ago, we commissioned a study on the impact of deindustrialization on, on black communities. Um, because quite honestly, I will say there was not a lot of work that had been done about about that uh, over the last couple of decades. In fact, the last we, we saw one, one thing from, I think, maybe 15 years ago and another from about 25 years ago. But no one had even looked at this to see uh, what kind of a challenge it was. And, you know, and, and, and so the economic aspect of, of something of this is something that I'm very familiar with. And we've spent a lot of time. Um, in large and mid-sized communities where there are where there's a sizable population of African American workers, many of whom have been been displaced from their factory. You think about Flint or right. Youngstown, or mm -hmm. you know, the, I, we we could talk about a list all hour if we wanted to. Uh, and, and so that I feel like I have a you know a you know that we're that we're making some progress in getting some attention paid to those issues. Now, with respect to social justice, to racial justice, and all of that, I mean, obviously, that's where I feel like I have exorbitant privilege, and it's my job to listen uh, and to help lead change uh, and, and, and to follow those that are, that are affecting that and, and, and to do whatever I can do. Well, and you so, know, um, yeah. you are leading change as president of the Alliance for American Manufacturing because you've reported, as you mentioned, on the role of deindustrialization and, and how that's what that has played 
a role in uh, with regard to suffering in the black community. But you also talk about that combined with discrimination and how it's fueled sh- social and economic suffering uh, in the black community. So first of all, you did reports on this before Mr. Floyd and other people uh, dying at the hands of uh, white officers and saying, I can't breathe. Um, two things. Why? Why were you? That's interesting. Why is president of AAM? Were you like, you know, let, let's look at the, the, the combination of d- the discrimination and deindustrialization and how that plays a part in fueling social and economic suffering in the African-American community. One, why? And um, two, you know, what what have you found with the, you know, the reports that you have presented? Yeah, yeah. There, there, there's a lot of reasons for that, Leslie. And, and one of which was I listened uh, to folks and 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 tried to to understand uh, their their perspective and 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 black leaders' perspectives on this. And so, in a sense, you know, manufacturing workers band together um, and are a working class and are a tapestry. You know, and the, you have white rural manufacturing workers, you have uh, black, brown, and white manufacturing workers in, in larger places. Uh, but w- what has been different for them, the experience that has been different has been the discrimination. And I'll just I'll just try to crystallize this for you. You know, so in the 50s and the 60s, which was the heyday of the surge of manufacturing in the United States, there were lots of opportunities. It was a huge part of our economy. And, and you, you, you know, you may have spoken to your uh, relative, your older relatives about this as well. It's just that it was very common to be able to find a manufacturing job. Well, African-Americans could find some manufacturing jobs then, but they were the worst paying jobs and they were the ones that had no career. Just as they were getting opportunity at the end of the 60s and 70s, as some of these, these, these barriers, these racist barriers were getting knocked down and they could have these opportunities in the mills, that's when deindustrialization started. And, and, and that's when these factories started to close. And because of redlining and discrimination um, and, and because there, there, there were not a lot of economic assets or, or for, for there's a multitude of reasons, um, didn't have the mobility and were, were essentially stuck in a downward spiral of poverty uh, just as they were tasting the fruit of kind of uh, of a union job and a, a good paying union job in a factory. And, and that, to me, has been the devastating thing. And, and it has been a slow and steady decline in manufacturing and manufacturing opportunities since that time. And in almost every case, we have seen uh, black workers be more disparately impacted when we've had layoffs and plant closures. Um, and the, the, the communities have been slower to recover. Um, and so that's something that we wanted to take head on. And it is a work in progress. We have only scratched the surface of this, and we have a lot more to do. Scott spoke of his white privilege, which I also have. And in 2017, I want to give uh, commend you. He used his voice and privilege to resign Donald Trump administration's manufacturing council. Follow Leslie on Twitter. Just go to www.twitter.com slash Leslie Marshall, and we'll be sure to share your tweets. We 
are back. Good to be back with Scott Hall, president of the Alliance for American Manufacturing. Uh, thank you, Scott, for holding. Welcome back. I was cut off uh, talking about Scott Paul's Unmade in America op-ed, and I wanted to uh, talk about um, and give you uh, props and kudos, Scott. I was saying before I got cut off in my bad, I was trying to brush before the uh, break there. Marky Mark is uh, frustrated. I do it all the time. In 2017, he said, I used my voice and privilege to resign from the Trump administration's manufacturing council to protest the president's unaccepted response to the white supremacist who gathered in Charlottesville, Virginia, and caused the death of an innocent woman. Uh, so I commend you for that, Scott. Um, you talked about listening uh, before the break. Um, you talk about learning in your piece, and you also talk about acting now in, in, in going uh, forward. You talk about, like I do, that we will never, ever personally know uh, the struggle or the despair uh, that black Americans in the black community face uh, and have faced and continue to face in Americans certainly have uh, for generation. Um, you uh, talk about Killer Mike, you talk about Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, you talk about Congressman John Lewis, who I met in a supermarket in DC, and uh, also the uh, valuable uh, words of Dr. the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King uh, Jr. Um, you talk about working together for a common purpose. You talk about the mission at AAM every day to give voice and to give support to all of America's working class and uh, to give them a, a fighting chance into the future. Scott, do you think people forget that there are people of color in America's working class? I mean, do you think people just, because I, I know they forget women are. <laughs> I mean, do you think they just think of, you know, uh, especially in the Rust Belt, a bunch of white blue collar guys working in these manufacturing jobs and that's just not the reality uh, as opposed to, I think, the perception some Americans have of this. Yeah, yeah, Le Leslie, that's a that's a really, really, I think, good point. And, and, and you're right. And I think that there is a, that's the perception of, that, that a lot of people have of a factory worker, is a white guy who uh, doesn't have a college degree, but does have a beer gut. Right. And and, um, and is probably older. And and that's what people see. And, you know, it's an image that, quite honestly, has been very, very perpetuated by pop culture as, as well. Um, and it's how it's portrayed uh, in film largely and, and, and in the media. There's some exam there, there's some counterexamples to that. And one and I'll just say, because I know people are streaming movies these days. Uh, do yourself a favor and watch the movie Working Man. Uh, it's by a director named Robert Jury. It has a diverse cast. Uh, Peter Garrity, Taya Shire, Billy Brown. Um, and uh, it, it brings a lot of these issues to, to, to the forefront, I, I think. But that, that's worth everybody's time to check out. Um, uh, if, if, if you get so uh, Working Man. Um, but, but what I was going to say, and, and Leslie, I think the danger here is that I think that overwhelmingly we as citizens have this, you know, we, we understand that manufacturing is hard and important work, even though many of us don't do it. And we understand how vital it is because it's literally saved our asses before uh, right. in, in World War II and, and in other respects. And so, so there, there is there, there is like built a, a built up reservoir of goodwill for manufacturing workers. But unfortunately, there are some in politics, including our president, 
who try to use factory workers as pawns and to divide them, not based on class, but based on race. And to say, you know, that the other is taking your job away or, or et cetera. I mean, we could, look, we could spend hours talking about all of that. But, but, but the fundamental issue here is that it, it then causes some progressives to say, well, if Trump is for all those manufacturing workers, then why the heck should I be, right? You know, why, why right. should I be if it's just a bunch of, uh, of, of reactionary white males? I mean, they're, they're part of the problem. And, um, <laughs> and, and, the, and so the reality and what you see, uh, you know, if you actually step into a workplace or a factory or one of these communities, is that um, it is a, is a diverse array of people, Leslie, including women, as you said, yeah. including lots of people of color. And, and so that, that's where I feel like it's our role to help reconnect everyone with, with this idea and to understand that for economic issues, there has to be some class solidarity here and that all of us together, whether we are white, black or brown, have to work for racial justice as well, because they are equally important. You can't have economic justice without social justice. You can't have social justice, I think, without economic justice. And so it's important to, I think, you know, achieve these goals together. And some of it has to do with getting economic policy right so that people have job opportunities and are able to, able to advance and grow and to prosper from them. And the other is to end this racism, to end this discrimination, to end all of these structural impediments, impediments and institutionalized racism um, th th that have developed and that have not eroded, unfortunately, in our country over you know, you know, hundreds of years. You write in your article, and you had mentioned, you touched upon uh, some of the cities that were thriving, uh, had thriving black communities, St. Louis, Chicago, Baltimore, Detroit, Youngstown in, in Ohio. And when factories began to shut down and those communities were left uh, gutted, uh, you talked about redlining, you talked about discrimination, you talked about industrial flight, and you talk about the devastating disproportionate impact on black workers. You also go on to say, which is so true, they weren't able to find jobs as quickly as their white counterparts. And we know that because we don't hear about black flight. We hear about white flight. And white flight's a very real thing, right? In many of these communities, when factories shut down and went overseas, uh, a, a lot of white people moved. Why? Because they got a job somewhere else and they, and they had the ability to get a job somewhere else because um, they, you know, black communities disproportionately paid lower than the white community disproportionately has less uh, advantage and opportunity. Um, that, that, that's, that's not something somebody has an opinion on. That is a fact. Can you speak to that? It is a total fact. And the report that we did on communities of color and, and black communities and deindustrialization pointed this out, that it was a combination of redlining. Um, so it, it's hard to get a home elsewhere other than, you know, if you were black and you want to move into a white zip code, um, there was institutionalized racism against doing that. There were inequities in educational and training opportunities for black workers uh, and, and white workers. And the, the, the list goes on. And, and that's just the beginning of it. But all of these inequities um, add up together. And so I, I want to say that I am glad, because I think this change is going to take all of us, right? 
And, and so I'm glad that some in corporate America are stepping up and are saying the right thing. Um, but the thing that they could do the most after this, after this, and in addition to everything else they're doing, support the right economic policies, the policies that don't ship the jobs overseas, that make sure that there is wealth and equality for everybody. Absolutely. That, so that Tim Cook builds a factory in a black community rather than just giving $100 million to try to spur, spur it. That's what we got to do. And that's what we right. have to hold our leaders accountable for. We're going to be back with Scott Paul, president of AAM. I'm Leslie Marshall. Don't go away. We are back. We are back Scott Paul, president of the Alliance for American Manufacturing. Scott, thank you for holding. Welcome back. I want to tell you a quick story because, you know, th th it is very true that, you know, I believe uh, racism is alive and well uh, in America. I live in Southern California, one of the most diverse places in one of the most diverse states in the United States. And, and some people would say around the world. And um, my husband, one of my husband's best friends, um, and co-workers is an African-American and his white, his white, white, his wife is white and she looks like Jessica Rabbit. Do you know who Jessica Rabbit is? And uh, she's like a, a, a real image. I mean, she's like this hot, curvy, you know, blonde with a, a killer body. And uh, I hate going to dinner with them. <laughs> I love her, but I'm like, get out of here. <laughs> that body of yours. Anyway, they moved in um, to a very nice uh, community, a cul-de-sac, and there are five homes, theirs and four others. And uh, the weekend they moved in, um, this man was taking boxes out of his garage, and all of a sudden police came, like two, three police cars, and he's like, you know, his hands up, and he's like, what'd I do? And they're like, what are you doing? And he's like, I'm taking boxes out of our garage because we just unpacked. And he goes, what are you doing here? And he goes, I live here. Do you have proof of that? So he got his ID, uh, proof of the deed. Uh, his wife comes out. They have twin daughters. Um, anyway, at the end, and he said the police officers, two were white, one was black, and one was Hispanic. And he said he said to the Hispanic and the black cop, who called? They said all four of them. <laughs> all four houses on a street with five houses called. And this is, you know, a diverse area, you know, Los Angeles. His wife's white. And I mean, just showing the diversity of the police officers that showed up. Actually, I think one was Asian. So, you know, he's like Asian, Hispanic, black and white, yeah. you know, but he, you know, he, he was just like, are you kidding me? <laughs> he still lives there. And uh, I think he's forgiven them because they have block parties and stuff. But I mean, it's, it's very true. And it's very uh, sadly, uh, very much alive, uh, you know, yeah. in all, all different ways, uh, whether they're subtle or uh, not so uh, subtle. Uh, thank you holding, uh, for holding Scott and uh, welcome back. Um, so much to talk about. I don't want to just uh, run to some other topics uh, that we have to talk about because you bring up so many things um, in uh, your piece. Um, when did deindustrialization begin, Scott? And why does that continue today? Because haven't we learned from the mistake of shipping factories overseas? When a factory moves out, you write wages go down uh, and... Um, you talk about those in the African-American community who were trapped, you know, who were trapped there, trapped by yeah. this discrimination. Uh, mortgages are underwater. We've seen what it's done our, to our economy on a national level. 
Uh, but talk about when deindustrialization uh, began and wh- why it continues today, because it clearly has not helped not only the workers, it hasn't yeah. helped our nation, our economy, and especially minorities, specifically African-Americans. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so I, I will just spend first like a minute on a history lesson. So like we have we have what we would call an industrial policy for agriculture, right? We have a big farm program and we pay farmers lots of money to do certain things, but not other things. And there's price supports and lots of other things. There's a big industrial program for oil and gas. We give them tons of money to do this, that and the other thing. Um, There's nothing like an industrial policy for anything in manufacturing that isn't defense related. It's just like, oh, you know, the free market will take take care of you and and, and sort you out. So, so, you know, unique, I think, particularly among sectors that are in global competition, uh, manufacturing doesn't have any, you know, much support from our government at all. Okay, so that's fact number one. Fact number two is that our trade policy started loosening up and imports started coming in more throughout the 60s and the 70s. And so, you know, deindustrialization started in the 70s and um, and it hit um, urban areas first, okay? So large urban areas felt it before anybody else did. Um, and those, you know, are areas that tend to have higher African-American populations. And you think about Detroit or Cleveland or Chicago or Baltimore or some of the communities that we were talking about. And so so that's where we, we first saw a lot of this deindustrialization and, and people look back from the suburbs and said, oh, it's a shame what's happening there, but it doesn't really impact me at all. It, it doesn't impact me. And plus, it's probably they're just mismanaged or something like that. You know, all sorts of reasons given for this. And, and it really wasn't until a lot of this deindustrialization hit small rural towns that, you know, w- white Americans were like, well, wait, wait, wait. Now, now we're losing our jobs. Mm-hmm. So th- this is terrible. And unfortunately, by that time, I think both parties, honestly, on a lot of these issues lost their way. So Trump comes along and they're like, well, here's the guy who says he's going to fix it. So um, it was, uh, you know, he was he was fishing in the right pool, unfortunately. But this built up over a number of decades. And and the challenge is that the only answer that any party had to this was like, we'll just retrain the workers. And we talked in the prior segment about how that doesn't work particularly well when they're in inequities in education and training and mobility and and what have you. And so so black workers felt the impact uh, much more strongly than than white workers from 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 all of this. And it is a I mean, one of the most remarkable things I read after the Freddie Gray, um, you know, after Baltimore, you know, just, you know, there were, there were, there was civil, you know, civil discourse. There was obviously there was uh, property destruction and what have you. But the, one of the owners of the, of the Baltimore Orioles who's been there forever said, look, this is bound to happen. I mean, we've shipped all their jobs overseas too. And so it is a, in addition to this gross miscarriage of justice or injustice that was handed out, you, you have this, this, economic, the, the, the fuel on the fire that, that has been added over decades from, uh, from, from very few economic opportunities. And so I, th- I think that's the thing that is 
um, if you're if you're widening the lens that, that you can see, but you you have to you know you have to look for it. And now, honestly, and, and again, I spent a lot of times in these queues. Place like Gary, Indiana, which you know is named after one of the owners of United States Steel Corporation, and Gary was a massive steelmaking town. Yep. And um, there is incredibly high poverty and mm-hmm. unemployment in Gary. Uh, precisely because a lot of that steel now comes from China or somewhere else and n- not from that mill. And so we obviously have a lot of work to do. I mean, first and foremost is is a, or addressing, I think, a lot of the racial and social justice issues. But as we're looking at how can we as a nation recover economically overall and have a sustainable future, I think that how we we deal with a lot of these issues that led to deindustrialization, how we can revitalize these communities has to be a part of that conversation, has to be a part of that solution as well. Gary, Indiana, interesting you say that. I lived in Chicago twice, two years each, so a total of four years. Um, and I used to drive through Gary, Indiana, because when I was first married, my husband was doing his fellowship in Cincinnati, um, Ohio. I lived in Chicago. When I'd get off the air at 10 p.m., I would drive there. Uh, and Down uh, I, 65, right exa- past my hometown. Yeah. Right, right, right. And I would drive through uh, Gary, Indiana before stop, stopping at Cracker Barrel, who not only had food, but they had books on tape, audio books on tape that helped me stay awake. Thank you to Cracker Barrel for that. But Gary, Indiana was once the murder capital of this nation. And they also had some chemicals that were coming up out of uh, the ground and through uh, their water sources. They were concerned about drinking yeah. water. Uh, and those are just examples. And um uh, quite frankly, you know what happens, um, and it, it's not because you're—it's not because you are black, because that's what people say. Well, you know, look, it's the murder capital of the world. You know, those black people are—you know—no. I mean, what happens when you take away? You know, when your schools aren't good, what what happens when you don't have the education? What happens when you don't have the jobs? What happens when you don't have the money and you're hungry and you don't have opportunity? And yeah, a few bad apples say to a kid, you can make $2,000, buy a brand new bicycle if you just run this little package from point A to point B, even though you might get shot in the process. I mean, seriously, um, yeah, there's personal responsibility, but there's a lot more that goes uh, into that, uh, which leads, uh, you know, decay, decay, decay. Um, over decades, generations, even hundreds of years, and of course that systemic racism—it's—it's—it's um, uh, it, 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 it's interesting. When you say Gary, I've driven through Gary and I've seen the result of what you're talking about. Um, we're going to take a break, but let me just set this up for you to answer on the other side, and then we'll talk about that EPI study uh, examining how racism and economic inequality hurt Black workers during this uh, pandemic of COVID-19. Scott, you talk about proper outlook, sound leadership, accountability and a renewed focus on building a better future for America's working class. When we come back, can you tell us what that looks like going forward? Absolutely. Great. I'm Leslie Marshall. We'll talk more with president of AAM, Scott Paul. Uh, Right after this, we're also going to talk about a study uh, from uh, the EPI examining how racism and economic inequality hurt black workers during this pandemic of COVID-19. Go to the website, AmericanManufacturing.org. On Twitter, follow uh, the AAM at Keep It Made in USA, which you should, and follow Scott Paul at Scott Paul AAM. On Instagram, at American Manufacturing, and on Facebook, Facebook.com forward slash American Manufacturing. I'm Leslie Marshall, back to Scott, back to you right after this. Don't go away. We are back with Scott Paul. I'm Leslie Marshall. Welcome or welcome back. Go to their website, AmericanManufacturing.org. On Twitter, follow Scott at Scott Paul, AAM, 
and follow the AAM at Keep It Made in USA. On Instagram, follow at American Manufacturing. And on Facebook, go to facebook.com forward slash American Manufacturing. Scott, thank you for holding welcome back. Before the break, I asked you a question and um, you uh, talked about, let me get my place here. Uh, you talked about uh, in your piece that um, you need, we need to focus uh, on a better future for America's working class. You talk about a need for proper outlook, sound leadership, and accountability. Um, what does that look like going forward from your position as president of the AAM? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, on, on the one hand, I think that you have absolutely necessary and critical reforms in criminal justice and policing. And obviously, there are, I'm sure you've had folks on your show that know way more about this than I do, but we have to, we have to tackle that. Coming in behind that, we also have to put into place a fair and sustainable economic structure for America. And, and, and so that is going to take some sustained attention. And what what gets me is like when you when you see Mitch McConnell from time to time saying, "Well, we don't have enough money to do that." After mm. all of my corporations got their tax breaks or whatever, yeah. you know, or and so it is going to take. And and here's the deal: like if if there if there is sincerity on the part of the president and of of Republicans to 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 lean into this, then Speaker Pelosi and, and the Democrats will have to be able to to say to, to, to get to yes and to have something. And so, like, I'm thinking of like rebuilding America, those crumbling schools, those wa- that water infrastructure. Um, you know, we 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 it is well known what happened in Flint, and there are many many Flints around this country. And, and just think of the, I mean, construction jobs, and then the sustainable communities, and then. You know, there's a there's a there's a synergy that can develop through policies like that and also committing to ensuring that there is educational and training equity and that if a because the situation right now, if you lose your job in, in a factory or somewhere, is that you'll get some training money, but it could be for a. Um, something that's not appropriate to your skill set, um, or it could be something for a job that really doesn't exist in 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 many ways. And 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 what we need to do instead, I think, are a couple of things. Number one, we need to make sure that factory doesn't cl- shut down in the first place. Yeah, you know, don't lay the workers off. Do a work share so that they're they're getting paid some of their wages, even if they're not turning out the the, the products. But that you're you're keeping. You're keeping that knowledge and know-how and know-how and skill set intact, and do everything that you can to do that. And a little investment in that is going to pay off in the long run. And we we just get, I mean, with anything like in medicine or whatever, the longer you wait and the the, the worse the symptoms get, the more expensive and the harder the 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 cure or the the the, the therapy is going to be. And it's exactly the same when it comes to our economy. And so. We do have an opportunity to really reshape things, and that's one of the things that that, that these high impact and very rare events uh, have shown in the past that we are able to come together and, and do great things. And I think of the New Deal with all its flaws because it was included institutionalized racism, unfortunately. But yeah, we we can get this right, and we can do better, and, and we have an opportunity now. And so, you know, if the Senate's just going to you know, advance more conservative justices, 
what a waste. Why the hell even have them show up in Washington? But if we can work together for this common purpose, I think that that's, again, there's not a lot that, of good that, is, that has come out of all of this. It's exposed some really, really bad and terrible features of America. Uh, but if we can make something good, uh, we, our, our policymakers must do that. And then our voters must hold them accountable and not, ju not just let these guys either wave the flag or have a slogan or, or have a factory as a backdrop, you, you know, do the work, do the work, get it done. Yeah, and, and it, it, it amazes me. It, it, yeah, it amazes me because, I mean, infrastructure, bringing jobs back uh, to America and keeping jobs in America is a win-win regardless of what party you are, okay? Green Party, Independent Party, Reform Party, uh, you know, Socialists, Democratic Socialists or Democrats uh, or Republicans. It's crazy. Let's talk about some of those facts because this isn't just about feelings. OK, uh, yeah. I mentioned before the new EPI study examining how racism and economic inequality hurt black workers during COVID-19, this pandemic. Um, black workers, accor according to facts, are more likely to work in essential jobs or lose their jobs entirely, right? Um, yeah. And we do have we do have two challenges. We got we have two pandemics, right? We have public outcry over the murder of George Floyd, and then we have the coronavirus pandemic, uh, claiming more than a hundred and twelve thousand Americans' lives, topping more than two million cases. Uh, and there has been a discussion, as we touched upon today, about systemic uh, racism since the death of Mr. Uh, Floyd. But when you look at this research, this new research from the Economic Policy Institute, the EPI, this research illustrates how racism has also yeah. meant black workers have been disproportionately impacted by this pandemic. This isn't not this isn't just opportunity. This yeah. is they're, they're getting COVID at a faster rate than the whites and they're being unemployed as a fast at a faster rate in larger numbers um, as a result of this. Um, can you speak to that? Because I know the the EPA um, study found that racial disparities in health status, access to health care, wealth, employment, wages, housing, income and poverty all contribute yeah. to greater susceptibility to COVID-19, not just physically yeah. in health, but economically as a, a, a wage or job loss. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Leslie, you, you, I think, correctly identified it as like two, two epidemics and the, the fact that both um, many essential frontline workers are people of color uh, in, in occupations that aren't particularly well-paying, right? And, and so we're exposing these, these workers to great danger uh, to deliver, deliver essential goods and services, um, and, and that's disproportionately impacting black workers. Um, for, for occupations that are laying off, um, it's also having a significant impact for black workers. And prior to that, the, the, the demographic that had the highest unemployment continuously in America were black men uh, who don't have a four-year college degree. Um, mm -hmm. and, and that doesn't even account for the prison population uh, at all. And there, there was an epidemic of unemployment in black men because of all of these disparities that you just talked about that range from education to healthcare to housing to training to uh, you know to, to built in to built in racism. And so it is a 
it's an especially critical, critically important and vulnerable moment. And this is like, again, no response is not acceptable, but a minimal response is not acceptable as well. We have to have the police reform. We have to do all of that. We have to do all of the all of these other things as well. Otherwise, we will be right back where we started from um, with another crisis sometime, just waiting to engulf our communities. And it will. And, and so th- that's why this is such a such an important moment, Leslie. You know, um, you and I are, uh, I'll talk about that in a sec. Um, we only have two minutes, so let me do this fast. Um, the EPI report had numbers that I was shocked by. Uh, black workers make up one in nine workers overall, almost 12%, 11.9 of the workforce, accounting for one in six frontline industry workers, 26% of public transit, 18.2% of trucking, warehouse, and postal service jobs, 19.3% of childcare and social service workers, and 14.2% of grocery convenience and drugstore workers. You and I are working from home, right? Yeah. And um, black workers aren't able to work from their homes. They have to go into their workplaces. This is one of the reasons they're at a higher risk because of some of these jobs and these percentages uh, that I have listed based on this EPI report. Uh, can can you speak to that? Yeah, that's absolutely right. And, and again, these are essential jobs. And the unfortunate thing is that you can't depend on having a good employer in these jobs. And, and there's too much responsibility for PPEs and for all of that that have been hoisted onto the workers. And, and so you're seeing both, obviously, infection rates and um, mortality rates are higher in black communities as well. And it's because there are underlying health disparities as well. So I think, you know, all of this together means that we have a lot of work to do. <laughs> we have a lot of work to do. And it is, you know, it is uh, police reform. It is racial justice. It is criminal justice reform. It is also eliminating all of these disparities, whether they're in healthcare or job protections or opportunity. Um, and as a nation, we, we have right. to get to this. Uh, and and it, it's going to benefit everyone. I think that's right. what we have to understand. This is going to be benefit everyone. At well, the end and of the to day. your point, we are all in this together. That's Scott, right. thank you. Scott is president of the AAM. Go to AmericanManufacturing.org. Follow at Keep Made in USA. Follow Scott at Scott Paul AM. Instagram at American Manufacturing. Facebook, Facebook.com forward slash American Manufacturing. Thank you, Scott. Marky Markamaldi is my executive producer. I'm Leslie Marshall. Add a little play to your day with the Michigan Lottery. Over 90 online instant games to choose from, with prizes up to $500,000. A Marquette County woman recently won $250,000 playing online. Could you be next? Sign up online today to receive 10 free games with promo code FUN. Visit MichiganLottery.com to add a little play to your day. Add a little play to your day with the Michigan Lottery. Over 90 online instant games to choose from, with prizes up to $500,000. A Marquette County woman recently won $250,000 playing online. Could you be next? Sign up online today to receive 10 free games with promo code FUN. Visit MichiganLottery.com to add a little play to your day.